We're carrying on our series, uh, Travelling Without Moving, because we're moving. We're not moving, but we're moving. We're hoping to make a bit of progress in the church. We're going to change things up a little bit, and we, we want to dig around again at what it really means to move as church, as God's people. We don't want to be lazy about it. We want to be serious about it. We want to be respectful to God's Word. So we want to like plow into God's Word at this moment, just at this time where we're doing some change. So we're going to be serious about this, uh, about this move that we're doing. And we're going to end up again, um, you'll notice as Tracy read for us, we're back at Corinth. And this, this letter that Paul wrote and this, this city in Greece seems to have been a place that we've, well, there are some really good lessons for us to return to. So we're returning back to this city of Corinth again. And it, and it, you know, it got me thinking, we're going, to, we're going to look at the lessons that they le- the church at Corinth learned. And it got me thinking about the lessons that we learn from the cities that we grew up in. The place that we come from, you know, I don't know if not everybody was born in Yorkshire, but the place that we come from, I think, shapes our view of the world. My wife has left the room, so this anecdote is is safe. It's not really an anecdote. She she's a Glasgow girl, and you can take Glasgow out of the girl. No, you can take the girl out of Glasgow, but you can't take Glasgow out of the girl. Some I don't know what it is, but she's got this like determined quiet determination, this spirited nature. And, you know, a lot of that's, that's not all, that's, I can't, we can't put that all down to Glasgow, but something, something that's born up in that city over the years has kind of shaped her, formed her view. If you're from different cities, you'll know, you'll know, you know what I'm talking about. If you're from London, you survived the Blitz. You grew up within eyeshot of the, of the skyscrapers that shoot out of the, of the city center. Now you've got this there's this sense of like the spirit of the blitz that, that carries on within you, the sense that you can kind of cope with anything. And it's kind, of, it's kind of shaping, isn't it, the city that we're from. I want us to get under the skin of the city of Corinth. We come to it, if you come to it from a church perspective, it is, it's a couple of letters in the New Testament that deal with some fruity issues, deal with some difficult issues. But if you, come, if you get under the skin of the city, there's a lot going on in this city. The city of Corinth. So just a few miles to the east lies the city of Athens. A few miles to the west, they've got noisy neighbors, these Corinthians, lies the city of Sparta. These two noisy neighboring powers that would f- war and battle with each other. Big noises. I don't know if anyone's seen the film 300. Have you seen the film 300? A little nod. It's it's de- it's, if you've not seen it yet, it's, it's debilitating. If you're a guy of a certain age who's never going to get the six-pack, that's never going to come. These guys, yeah. So I'm there, so I watch it, and I'm broken inside. because, And I, I really hope that it's CGI that puts the six-pack on them. You know? CGI is incredible now, right? It can do amazing things. But it's this, this great story. It's 300, it's 300 and tells the tale of Leonardis and his men. And the, it's the battle of, I'm going to have to be careful how I say it, Thermopylae. It's this, it's this battle. So Sparta has become the dominant power around this region. And the Persians are coming in. And sort of if you read through, depending on which internet site you look at, they're in their millions. But I think the, 
the serious historians reckon there were about 100,000 of these Persians coming to meet them, and the Spartans were going to hold them up. And it kind of strikes me, and if you've seen the film 300, it's, they're going to just outmatch all them. There's 300 of them. There's a million Persians coming the other direction. And Leonidas sort of says to his men, puffing out his six-pack and his, and his pecs and everything, we're just going to... We're going to get behind our shields and we're going to outmatch them. So they wait in this kind of ravine, this valley. So the Persians have got to come this way. And this, if you've seen the film, you'll know it's just it's an awesome film. My lad is desperate to watch him. And I'm not sure when the appropriate age is going to be. It's probably quite a while away. But I'll, I'll be a bit slack on these things. But it's this, and this, this amazing coming together. And the Spartans outmatch you for, for a couple of days anyway until a character called Ephrialtes, a local man, intervenes and he kind of sells his soul. He sells his, his countrymen down the Swanee and he tells the Persians of a way around the back to win this battle. That's what he does. In the film, so that's the true story. You know, Hollywood doesn't always like to let the truth get in the way of a good story, does it? So in the film, this guy is portrayed as you know, a guy with physical deformities, a guy that is disabled, a guy that is weak to many people's eyes. And he can't become a true Spartan, a Spartan warrior, because to be a Spartan warrior, you've got to grab the shield and you've got to have the strength to hold it about that height. Because this shield is about a meter in height, it's going to protect you. And maybe you've seen some films about ancient Greece, you know the way that they, that they roll. They have this move that's named after the tortoise, it's called the testudo. They kind of all move together and your shield defends the guy next to your left, and you kind of can like match a one together. And it provides this like awesome power, this awesome force. But this guy, Ephialtes, was too weak to hold, this, to hold the shield. So he couldn't be a true Spartan. So we have to dissect the truth and the lies. So the truth of the story is that he did give the game away. But he wasn't disabled. He wasn't disfigured in any way. But there is truth behind that story. The Spartans were a pretty ruthless strength-focused bunch. They were pretty obsessed. They'd inspect the babies when they were tiny to look for any sort of defects. And the rumor mill spreads that if they weren't up to the game, they'd throw them off the cliff. I think that's mostly just folklore, but it kind of sets the scene, doesn't it? They had another saying that they would use, that the women would say to the men when they went off to battle, these sound like a ruthless bunch of women, they'd say, with it or on it. And it was in reference to your shield. You come back with the shield in your arm or you come back dead carried on your shield. There was no room for weakness in the Spartan army. It was all macho and bravado. And this is the neighboring city of Corinth. In fact, probably more than neighboring city of Corinth. These were allies. The Corinthians were not too dissimilar. They were certainly heavily influenced by the Spartans. So Sparta's got this huge influence. There's this macho, bravado backstory that influences how you think. The Spartan Empire came to an end when the next guys came in after a few more battles. The Romans came in in about 146 BC and raised Corinth to the ground, just smashed it all up, left it dormant for 100 years, and then Julius Caesar looked at this strip of land and he said, I fancy having a city here again and rebuilt it. And the Romans, although they were different in mindset to the Spartans, there's still this like strength and honor mentality. There's still this non detestas, non exerces, and I'm pronouncing that very accurately. It's Latin. It means never give up, never surrender. There's no weakness again. And this is the church 
This is the city. This is the place that Paul's planting his church. This macho backstory. And Paul comes in and he starts replicating the teachings of Jesus Christ. Be humble. Love your neighbor to these guys with the six packs, to this backstory. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and this church is filling up week after week after week, as churches in this part of the world did with the weak, with the broken, with the lost, with the widows, with the sick. And Paul, if you pop the text up, that'd be really great. Paul writes to the people in this city and he challenges their mentality. Because they must have been scratching their heads thinking, we know how progress works, right? We've seen progress before. It's built on the back of a six-pack and a spear and a shield and unity and, and striving to head in a certain direction. And Paul writes them to tell them that God's kingdom, his church, won't grow with the replication of its best people. But when the weak parts, the variety, the imperfect parts are the points of progress. So it's a different looking kingdom. The first, if you can pop the text up, that'd be great, guys, at the back. The first text, um, the first point that Paul makes to this church is he says, we want to be in it together. This is a, this is a fractious church. The reason I think that Paul's brought us back to this church over and over again is that because you know, there's lots of lessons to be learned by, from people who make mistakes, and the Corinthians were making a bunch of mistakes. If you read through chapter 1, they were following all sorts of different leaders. They couldn't find any sort of level of unity. In the chapter that we're looking at now, they were a bit blown away and a bit power-hungry and wondering about gifts and gifting. And Paul writes to them, and he says, I'm going to need to remind you how to look at the idea of church. I'm going to need to remind you what we're all about as the church of Jesus Christ. He wants to remind them that you are the body of Christ. Listen to what he says. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. So he's kind of drawing them to this, to the truth of the story about what the church is. And it's, it's a really helpful concept for us to think about. He's saying, remember, remember Jesus? Remember his body? Remember, remember the work that he did? Remember the way that he walked around? Remember the way that he, he put his hands out of his pockets to help people? Remember the wisdom that poured out of his mouth? Remember the things that he saw and how he reacted to the things that he saw? Well, that body is now the church. We take up the position of the body of Christ. People want to see what Jesus looks like. Unfortunately, for us, some of the times, they look at the body of Jesus Christ. They look at the hands. Some, some churches use this phrase quite a lot. They look at the hands and the feet of its people and what they are doing. We are the body of Christ. We are that body. And that's the kind of, that's the kind of place that Paul takes them to. It's tricky though, isn't it, when we come to church? Because, because we are individuals now, aren't we? More than, more than perhaps at any point in human history, we are individuals. And the idea of the ideas of community and neighborhood and even family a little bit, this they exist and we still we still use them and they're still helpful. But they're a little bit they've changed a little bit in terms of what they are. We are we are individuals now. You know, you get fed up with your 
bank or your internet provider. There's no amount of loyalty anymore. You just you don't need to go there anymore. If you go to the supermarket and they've moved the beans from one aisle or they've moved the tin fruit to one aisle, you've been to Asda all your life, you're like, I'm not putting up with that anymore. I'll ding him and I'll drop him. You know what I mean? We, it's, the, the world has become quite, quite bespoke to us. We can kind of we can kind of have it how we want it a little bit. We, we don't, back in the day, you'd watch EastEnders with the 50 million people or whatever it was, or the Christmas show with 50 million people. Now, when I go home, all my kids have got their own iPads out and the blooming, I'm going to use the word blooming, earphones, and they're listening in like this, and everybody sort of separates themselves. And so we don't all watch the program together. You just you kind of digest it as you want. So that we've just become more and more of individuals. And I'm not... I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I'm not banging the drum for this is a terrible thing that we're becoming individuals. I'm just saying that's, that's kind of how it is. And then the way that we think about this, the way that we come to faith. How did you come to faith? Or how are you thinking in your journey with God? How are you thinking about these things? We come on our own, don't we? Often. It's, it's this painstaking, I'm at the side of my bed and I'm praying or I'm at the side of my bed and I'm thinking, or I'm wandering around, the, you know, having a long walk and I'm thinking it out, or I'm reading the Bible on my own. And maybe if you've come to a point of faith, it's been like a, it's been like a long personal process to you. And you go through this journey on your own, and you get to this point, perhaps on the journey where you accept Christ as your Savior, this personal journey, and then you're stuck with all these people <laughs> in love. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? We're stuck together, aren't we? You go through this long personal journey and then you rock up at church and you're perhaps sat next to the person whose praise is annoyingly exuberant or who thinks that socks and sandals is a good look. You know, we've been to different churches over the years and, and that's or they think that rainbow straps for the guitar, I use it again, is the way to go. Do you know what I mean? And this is the church that we join in all its oddities. We join this church with all its backstory, with all its awesome history, it's brilliance, but all its horrors as well. When you look back and dig around at the church, we come as individuals to Christ. We make this personal profession of faith, but we end up stuck together. And Paul, I think the people in Corinth, one of the things we know about Corinth is that they wrote to Paul, so this is, this is a letter that Paul, in some sense, is writing back. So Paul says in chapter 7, about concerning the things you wrote about. So they're asking him a couple of questions. And I think the people in Corinth are feeling this kind of way. They're looking at the church, and we know a bit about this. They've rocked up at the church. They're looking at the church, and they're seeing, they're seeing it in its difference, and they're seeing certain people behave in a certain way, and they're saying, I'm not sure that I'm part of this body. Did you get that? They're, they're rocking up, and, and the issue in, in chapter 12 that we're looking at is people speaking in tongues, but it could be any one of a number of issues, I think. Just people expressing their faith in kind of a different way, and some people in the church are looking at it. Maybe even the leadership were looking at it and saying, this is causing us problems. And people in the church are saying, I'm not sure I'm part of that. We, we, we know about that, don't we? A little bit. We know how that feels when you look around and you say, oh, I'm not as capable as that person. I've seen the way that they share their testimony. I've heard about the way that he prays every night before he goes to bed. I've, I've, I've seen the way that he opens his Bible. He seems to know where all the books are and, and knows what's going on. I don't seem to have that. I'm not sure that I am part of this. We know how that feels, don't we? And Paul speaks into this. And it's, he speaks into it because it's becoming a problem. 
The fact that people are different, they're questioning, am I part of this body? What does it mean to be part of a body? Paul says, you need to see diversity and difference in a different way. Now, if the foot should say, verse 15, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. This is, I think this is quite funny. I think Paul's being funny. You know, sometimes you read the Bible, you think, is this straight? I think this is, I think we're supposed to think this is a bit funny. I think he's making a bit like of an obvious point. Because I am not a hand, imagine the hand out there, stuck on the side of the body. Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. He's making a pretty overt point. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. He's making like the really obvious point. It's like, imagine your hand turning around to you and saying, I feel, I feel a bit rejected. You know, here's the hand. I'm almost at the point of doing some ventriloquism here. But you know, <laughs> the, the hand looks around at you and says, are you ignoring me? Hand to me. You just, I, I feel overlooked, do you know what I mean? The, the eyes and the nose, and you, you look in the mirror all the time, that gets all the attention. I feel neglected. I'm off. That's what the hand is saying. In this session, and Paul's saying, that's nonsense. Look how ridiculous it is for the hand to say that he's going to leave. And what Paul's saying to these people is, in our difference, the right response is not to think, yeah, we're going to bolt because I'm a bit different. The right response is to think, well, I'm different, but we're in it together. That's what he's saying. We're in it together. And not only are we in it together, there is some much-needed diversity within the body of Christ. One interesting thing that just caught my eye as I went through this, it's funny, I think, the way that, the way that Paul partitions these things up. It's not the foot that gets jealous of the eye, for example. It's the foot that gets jealous of the hand. Just, it's kind of groups them together. Something that's just a little bit better than a foot. Do you know what I mean? Isn't that the way it is in, in life? Actually, the, the, the people that we're jealous of, when I, watch, when I watch 300, or even the rugby guys, that, uh, you know, the cast tigers that came in, taking their shirts off and stuff with their awesome six-packs, I'm, I'm a bit jealous, but it doesn't trouble me that much. But It troubles me a bit. But, but somebody who's just a bit better than me, do you know what I mean? Somebody who's just, just got it together, like in church circles. I think that's the stuff that we really struggle with. Not the people that are awesome, not the James Bond, super good-looking dudes with the awesome cars. It's the people that we could kind of get near to. That's the real struggle. And Paul sort of opens this door for us to think about this. You know, the feet really struggle with the hands. Just somebody who's got it together a bit more than you. And I think kind of part of the message is don't, Paul's saying, don't hang around here. Don't lose yourself in this. Don't let this be the end of your Christian experience where you're just a bit obsessed with somebody who's a bit better than you. Don't make that the entirety of your Christian journey. Crack on with the bits that you've been given to do. Verse 16. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And we're stopped there, aren't we? And we recognize that sometimes we look at difference and we look at different people and we think, this is hard. This makes it more difficult. This surely can't be the plan. And God says to us through his word, actually, the difference, the weak and the strong, the people who have got it nailed down and the people that are really struggling, the people that are broken in church, actually, this difference, this diversity, 
This is the plan. It doesn't, it doesn't exclude us, difference. It doesn't, it doesn't sort of elevate us, difference. It just means that the body is able to work. So you're a hand, Paul says. So you've got the qualities of a hand. You can do calligraphy. You can do Swedish massage, if that's even a thing. You can pick a lock. You can do whatever ever you want, but that's not going to be very helpful to you when you want to get down to McDonald's for a burger. You're going to need your feet for that. The body works in that sense when its diverse parts come together. And he sort of, he sort of turns it on its head the other way as well. He presents us with this, what I think is a really awesome picture. He presents us with this idea of the fact that, so like the, the elevated part of the body, the eye, one of the best bits, I guess, that we've got, making the point, is he says, try and think about the fact that there's just an eye. Try and imagine that the eye has become the whole body. So you take, one of the reasons I fell for my wife were her eyes, and she's got beautiful eyes. Two, just above the nose, I think is really, really nice. Helps you look around, can be very attractive. And Paul places this image in front of us. I've said, look what happens if the whole body was an eye, is that still an attractive thing? If you all, and I guess the image that he's trying, the, the concept he's trying to get us to think about is, if we all aspire, you know, and this works, I think, on lots of levels. It works in church, but it works generally in life as well. If we all aspire to be the best thing, if we all try and head in the same direction, that, you know, I guess as, as the Spartans would encourage you to try and head towards the same direction for progress, that doesn't become something that's beautiful anymore. Actually, that becomes something that's a bit of a monster. That's the image that it gives us. It's an eye. It's one big, fat, ugly eye. You think it's the best thing going in the world till that's all you've got in the world, and it's just one big, fat eye. And he challenges us to think about how we see difference and how we pursue progress. And he says, no, the best thing for the church body is when everything, all its diverse parts, do their part you smell the cheeseburger, you see the McDonald's, you hot-foot it to the counter, you put your hand in your wallet, and you enjoy the burger. It's not every day you get a McDonald's illustration from the platform, but there you go. <laughs> but it doesn't leave it there. So the point is, and we think we've got to a point where we're saying this is about diversity. Paul takes us to this point. He gets us there, and we're like, yes, I kind of get that. I think I know that already. I know that the body works better in its diverse parts. I kind of get that. And then he says something, and it's, it's like when you read, occasionally you come across a verse in your Bible, you think, is that really there? Have I missed that all these years I've been reading my Bible? This is a moment for getting your pen out if you've got your Bible, or just making a note of it on your phone or something like that. This is an awesome verse, because we think he's taking us to, yeah, diversity is the answer, but he takes us up a notch, verse 18, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, and it, here it is, here's the verse, black and white. Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. He turns the whole thing on its head. And particularly for those, for those Spartan-influenced Corinthians, working towards a six-pack, thinking that progress comes with being stronger and being tougher and eradicating weakness, they're going to have a cardiac when they read and hear about this. Paul writes into that church whose pews are filling up with difference and weakness. And Paul says, no, you need to think about this again. Progress doesn't come just when we sort of manage to regenerate and recreate 
perfection. No, not in the body of Christ. Progress comes in the body of Christ when we utilize it in all its difference. On the front line of Christianity, there is, it is essential that there is brokenness and there is vulnerability and there are stories of honesty and trouble and difficulty. If we spend all our time trying to perfect ourselves, I guess we should perfect ourselves, but if we spend all our time heading to try and become the eyes, if we spend all our time trying to be holy Joes, God's word reminds us that this church finds real progress when each of the weak, strong parts are used. Then he goes on to say, verse 23, the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. This is a bit of a wordy part, if you can follow it on the text. It's really, really wordy, and I think Paul is trying to say something actually quite simple. The parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor. Are you still with me? It's it's hard work, isn't it? But Paul has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And you're like, right, what what on earth is that all about? What is is that going to... What is going on about there? Simply. And I think, I wonder, I don't know how well he knew Dr. Luke at this point, but I feel like he's taken some advice from Dr. Luke who said, do you know what, actually in life we often, certainly in this time in in human history, we we overlook how helpful our inner organs are. It's very obvious what you do with your hands, what you need your hands for, what you need your legs for, but... You forget about the vital nature of your lungs and your liver and your heart and everything else. These unseen bits, Paul draws our attention to. He's saying, we forget about these bits. Actually, these are the really important bits. And he's kind of saying, you can, you know, you can lose an arm along the way. You know, it's not great, but you can lose an arm along the way. But somebody, somebody takes the unseen bits out. Somebody pulls the heart away. All the lungs away, yeah, you can laugh, but you're going to know about that when you need to go down the shops. You're going to really know about that because you're not going to be able to get anywhere. That's the end of you. But this is the bits that Paul says that we forget. Like the hidden parts of the body of Christ is what we forget. I guess in the couple of years that I've been doing this, you do, I guess not in the couple of years I've been doing this, in the 20-odd years I've been going to church, you can get into your mind that you, you understand the way that church works person at the front really important right that's what keeps it together right and you read a passage like this and you think yeah you need you need the elders you need the need the leaders they're all really important and then you read a verse like this and you think man Paul's getting us to think what would we be like what what is really keeping this thing going is it is it the two of us that stand at the front and you've got to listen to week after week is that what's keeping it going Paul puts in the back of your minds the things that we forget about in church. The people that work quietly away. We think perhaps it's the person at the front or the people at the front that get a chance to talk, keeps the church together. And actually, Paul's saying it's probably just as likely to be a couple of women that get together and just won't stop praying for God's kingdom to come. 
They just really commit to it, just in a quiet way, in a way that nobody would know. And he encourages in this passage, he says, you need to care for the parts of the body that nobody can see because, man, that is, that is where the engine room is. That is the hearts, that is the guts of the church. And it's a real challenge for us, as, I think, as a fellowship, as a bunch of people, to care for each other in that way. The bits of the church that's not seen.